church family. If you have a Bible, you can open it to 1 Peter chapter number 2. 1 Peter chapter number 2. We're going to continue in a series that we started several weeks back called Exiles as we're walking through some things that God teaches us in the first Peter. As you're turning there, I was thinking about uh, when I was a kid, some of the things that I, that I did on a regular basis. Uh, one of those was in the summers when I was younger, really my early teenage years, I spent a lot of my summers with my dad and his family. So what that meant was most of my summers I spent working with my grandpa's company in southeast Louisiana. Now my grandpa, we called him Paul Paul Cooney. I'll let you try to figure out in your own minds why Cooney was his nickname for a, a southeast Louisiana guy. But anyway, my grandpa owned his own business, and so I would spend time with Paul Paul Cooney working for his company in the summers. Now, it was hard work. I, I remember um, a lot of the times that I didn't enjoy what was going on. Uh, most of that was because, not that I hate hard work, even though you may assume that from a typical preacher, uh, but it wasn't that I hated hard work. It was that I hated that to do for his company in the summers. It really required getting up super early, uh, working all the way till well past after dark, and not getting paid very much money whatsoever for all the work that I was doing. Now, some of you might be thinking out there this morning, Danny, that sounds like every day. Well, if so, I'm sorry for that for you. But that's what my summers were like when I worked for Paul Paul Cooney. But there was a few days, you know, occasionally, where instead of doing the typical kind of work that I had to do for his company, I would just get to ride with Paul Paul as he went to all the different companies and locations and partners that he did business with. He would kind of make the rounds, make sure there were no fires he needed to put out, make sure there was no new business that he needed to make sure he was getting offered. He would just kind of go and visit all the other bosses and have a cup of coffee and spend some time with him. Now listen, it never failed that the next place he would bring me, wherever it was that we were making rounds to, when we, that place was, I would enter the building and he would go immediately to the coffee and before I could even tell anybody who I was or before my papa could tell anybody who I was, everybody in that room would look at me and they would say, you must be a Boudreaux. Now that may not mean much to you. But if you saw my papa, if you saw my dad, and then you saw me, you would know that I'm just the typical Boudreaux in the clan of many who comes from southeast Louisiana who has this particular look. If you don't know what that look is, you're looking at it right now. People knew when I walked in, he must be a Boudreaux. It was obvious that I belonged to that guy, right? They said, Danny, why is any of that significant for us this morning? Because I wonder how often when people meet us and they're around us, and for whatever amount of time that is, I makes them to realize that guy, that girl, that person must be a Christian. I wonder how often that happens. Look, it didn't take long for me to be in that office for people to know exactly who I belong to. They knew I was a Boudreaux. Well, let me ask you this. For people who are followers of Jesus in this room this morning, how long does it take for someone to be around you and go, man, they must belong to God? Because in Peter's writings, in chapter number two, that's exactly what he's talking about to this early church. He's describing for them what people look like who belong to the Father. 
He's talking about what people look like who belong to faith in Jesus. Here's what he's saying. He's saying when people meet you, they should know you must be a Christian. As a matter of fact, he shows us a couple reasons why this is the case. Here's the first one. God changes our desires. You say, Danny, how do people know who we belong to? How do people know where we come from? Well, I think one of the first ways that people know that we belong to God is because God changes our desires. Here's what Peter wrote in 1 Peter chapter 2, starting in verse 1. He said, so put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. By the way, he's saying all those worldly things that are attributed to your former life before Jesus, put all those things away because you belong to God. He says, like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. He's saying, hey, people are going to know who you belong to. Changes your desires. A couple ways that he points this out. He changes our desires through salvation. This is a beautiful moment. We got to witness this for several people today, getting baptized, showing out their faith toward everybody who is here and everybody who could see it, testifying that they have tasted that the Lord is good. You know what Peter's saying when he makes that phrase? He's saying everybody who knows Jesus, everybody who's been saved by the power of Christ, they are the ones who have tasted that the Lord is good. And if that's you, you will begin to be changed first through salvation because you've surrendered your old life. You have died to your old self. That's what that symbol of baptism is doing. The old life is going into the water. It's like a tomb. It's being buried. It's dead. When you come out of that tomb, you come out of that water, you come out new life in Jesus. The old being gone so that you could follow after Christ. This is how Paul put it in 2 Corinthians 5 17. He said, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. As a matter of fact, Peter's already represented this all throughout the first chapter of this letter. He begins this letter calling them elect exiles. He later in chapter 1 calls them obedient children who have been called by God to be holy because he is holy. Later in chapter 1, he'll tell them they've been born again to a new hope. They do not belong to their former lives. They've been saved by the power of Jesus, and God begins to change our desires beginning the moment that we get saved. God changes us through salvation. Can I show you something else, though? God changes our desires through Scripture. This is why Peter said, like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation. Do you know what he's talking about? He's talking about meaningful time with God in his word. He's talking about newborn babies growing into maturity. If you saw a baby that was 10 years old, you would automatically know that's not a healthy baby, right? We don't see babies 10 years after they were born. People grow. They mature. They may not mature much, amen, but they mature, right? 
If they're not, we know something's wrong. If that's true for babies physically, why do we not think that's true for spiritual babies? Listen, if you were been saved for 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, and you're at the same place now as you were back when you gave us friends, listen to me, something is wrong. Peter would say, God changes our desires the moment that we get saved. But listen, everything continues to mature and grow and become more like Christ as we spend time in Scripture, in the Word, and He matures us like spiritual milk. It is the nourishment for our spiritual lives, and we become more and more and more like Jesus. As a matter of fact, I would ask you two questions if you're here this morning, and you say, Danny, I don't know if God's changing my desires. I don't know if that's true for me. Does that mean I don't belong to God? Well, let me give you a couple responses to that. A, maybe so. Because listen, our desires begin to change when we give our lives to Jesus, when he saves us. If you've never given your heart to Christ, if you've never began to follow after him with your life, if you haven't laid it down, turned from your sins and asked him to save you because you trust that what he knows is death was your death, his life is your life, if that's not you, then friends, your desires will never change because you need Jesus first. But if you're out there and you say, Danny, I got saved years ago, does it mean I'm lost because I have some desires that I shouldn't have? Of course not, friends. All of us will experience different desires and temptations and sinfulness throughout our lives. But here's what I would ask you. Are you the same sinful person that you were when you first got saved? If you say, Danny, yes, I haven't grown at all, then here's what I would ask you. Could it be because you also never spend any meaningful time with Jesus ever? Could it be that you attend church, but you never spend time with him for yourself so that you can grow and mature and go from a baby to a fully developed, mature follower of Christ? If you say, yeah, I think that's where I am, then here's what I would say to you, friends. God changes our desires through salvation, but he also changes our desires. And as we obey him more and more, we become more and more mature, and we will no longer be babies in Christ, but instead will grow into adulthood as we continue to follow him and mature and become better today than I was yesterday. And listen, that progression continues. God changes our desires certainly through salvation, certainly through scripture, but also I want to show you this. He changes our desires through separation. You say, Danny, what do you mean? Well, look back at verse one. He said, so put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. You know what he's saying? He's saying once you're saved and you spend meaningful time with the Lord and he begins to grow you in your faith and you begin to become more and more like Jesus, can I tell you something? You will naturally long to be separated from the sin that was once the commonplace of your life. He gives some descriptions. He says malice. He says, he says hypocrisy. He says envy. He says slander. Listen, I don't have to explain to you what those words mean. You've experienced those words in your own own life, whether it's people doing them to you or you doing them to others. He says, listen, if you're following after Jesus and he's changing the desires of your heart, you will, you will put these things away. You say, Danny, will that be permanently? Because listen, earlier this morning, I had a moment. No, no, no. It still happens sometimes, right? As a matter of fact, I was reading about envy. It was really interesting. It said that some have referred to this as the favorite indoor sport among Christians because it's so prevalent in the church, right? Like we still see these things all around us. We still see sin. We still battle it. We still face it. Well, you say, Danny, what's he saying? 
What he's saying is God begins to change our desires through salvation and through scripture. He will also begin to change our desires through separation. And we will, over time, want to be further and further and further away from sin. To be more like Jesus, as he already told us, we will want to be holy because the one we belong to is holy. Friends, can I ask you a question? If you belong to God, how is he changing your desires? Can I ask you another question? If you don't belong to God, friends, listen to me. What are you waiting for? Why not give your life to Jesus today? Why not invite him to save you and place your faith and trust in him and repent from your sin and say, I want a better way? Can I tell you something? He wants to change your desires. And if you belong to him, he will do so. Let me show you the second thing that Peter teaches us in this text. Not only does God change our desires, but God conforms our destiny. He conforms our destiny. This is a beautiful moment. Look at verse 4. I'm going to begin reading there. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house. There's the destiny, right? It's no longer what it once was. You are a new creation in Jesus. Now you are being built up into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture. Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe. But for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. That's not your death. Not if you give your life to Jesus. But you are, watch this, I love it. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into marvelous light. Hallelujah. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Is this not one of the greatest chants that all believers should be shouting out every single day? Once we were on our own, we are no longer on our own. Once we were nothing, we are no longer nothing. Once we had no mercy, now we have it. We are a royal priesthood. We are a spiritual house. We are God's people standing in his authority. Once we may have been all by ourselves, our destiny anymore, friends. God conforms our destiny. Can I show you a couple ways Peter points it out? He conforms us for his possession. I love what he said in the beginning of verse 9. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. Listen, our part is to come to him. But as we do, God will produce the growth. We will be built into a spiritual house. It's not my work. It's not your work. It's the work of God as he conforms our destiny to his own. Listen, Peter's painting a very clear picture about those who follow Jesus. You might be here and think, Danny, I'm just a, a regular, average Christian. 
I'm not a minister. I'm not a pastor. I'm not a super Christian friend. Can I tell you something? You are so much more, not on a log. You are so much more than just a space that's filled up in this building or on that pew. You are so much more if you think that's all you have. Let me remind you. Here's what Peter wrote. Living stones, spiritual house, chosen race, royal priesthood, holy nation, a people for his own possession. Listen, he conforms us for his possession. You know what Peter's reminding us of? He's saying, hey, if you follow Jesus, you no longer belong to yourself. Instead, your destiny is now for his possession. Paul put it best. It's my favorite verse in all of the Bible. He said this to the church at Galatia in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. He wrote, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Isn't it beautiful that now we belong to somebody so much bigger than we could ever possibly imagine? Isn't it incredible that we know our destiny isn't like it was before? Listen, when we were unbelievers, when we didn't know Jesus, when we were still lost in our sin, our destiny was very dark. But I don't know if you remember what Peter wrote here. God called us out of that darkness into his marvelous light. We now are a possession unlike any other. Think about the value that something has simply because of who it belongs to. Let me give you a couple of examples of this. A jersey may not mean much at all. It may just be a simple jersey unless Michael Jordan wore that jersey, right? Then that jersey has a little bit more value than if it was my jersey. Or what about a, that might no longer be just simply a dictionary if it was Abraham Lincoln who happened to be the owner of said dictionary? Or what about a desk? Might just be a simple desk until you know that Winston Churchill used it to write many a speech. It's no longer just a simple desk anymore, is it not? Well, let me ask you this, friends. The owner creates a lot of value to the possession. And if that is true, what does that mean for you and for me if we belong to God? Changes a little bit about the possession, does it not? depending on who it belongs to. He conforms us for his possession. Let me show you something else, though. He conforms us for his purpose. I love what Peter says on the other end of verse number nine. He says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. But watch this. Why? That you may proclaim the end of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Listen, he certainly conforms us for his possession, but he conforms us for a purpose that is well beyond what we ever thought our destiny might amount to. I don't know what kind of big dreams you have. I don't know what kind of things you want to accomplish in your life. I don't know what kind of goals you think are just way up here and you hope you can attain them. But let me tell you something, friends. As a follower of Jesus, you have a destiny well beyond anything that you could ever dream of. You get to be ambassadors for the Creator of the universe. You get to proclaim the most excellent of all excellencies. You get to share about the marvelous light of Jesus Christ to the world around you. Man, this is the purpose. 
that he places on each of us as he conforms our destiny to what he desires. I love to the church at Philippi in Philippians chapter three, he said, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Isn't it amazing to know that Jesus has called us out? He has given us a purpose beyond what we could imagine. We have been saved, changed, born again so that we can proclaim the excellencies of the one who called us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Man, it's our job now. It's our purpose. It's not what I have to do. It's what I get to do. I get to share with people what Jesus has done. Listen, he conforms us for his possession and for his purpose, but don't miss this in verse 10. He also conforms us for his praise. I love this state anytime I read it. I don't know if this resonates in your heart, but if you're a believer in Christ, it should. Listen to it. Once you were not a people, right? Nothing. But now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy. No, no, no. You received condemnation. You were doomed in the fate that was yours. But now you have received mercy. I mean, just imagine the context of what Peter's writing to, to all these people who are in turmoil, to all these people who are exiles, who are fleeing for their lives because they've called upon Jesus. They are now, they are now risking everything they have, their lives, their families, their possessions. It's all out there for Christ. Imagine what they're dealing with. And then Peter reminds them. He draws their attention and their worry and their anxiety and their frustration. He draws all of that attention back to the fact that they could still be wasting away in nothingness, but they were counted as to be the people of God. He has brought meaning and purpose to our lives. He's given us mercy when we deserved death. Listen to me, friends. God changes our desires. That's what happens when we belong to him. He also conforms our destiny. What we may have thought was the ceiling has nothing compared to what God wants to do with those who belong to him. But can I show you one more? It's the last one that Peter brings up. God also controls our direction. Look at this in verse 11. 1 Peter 2, verse 11. Look at it with me. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles, right? I urge you as those who are away from your home. I urge you as those who are apart from Jesus here on this earth. I urge you for those who feel like you may be on your own with nobody else. Listen, I know it's hard. I know it's tough. I know you live in a world that doesn't care about Jesus even though you love him. Listen, I urge you in the passions of the flesh which war, wage war against your soul. Man, just settle in on that for a second. Peter doesn't take lightly the sin that we wrestle with every single day. He doesn't take lightly the barrage of things that our culture pours on us that the devil himself wants to do to keep us from following Jesus. He describes it as waging war against your soul. He says, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. What's Peter talking about? Man, he brings them back to the very reason for writing this section. You remember earlier, very beginning of chapter two and verse one, he says, so put all those things away, right? 
put away all those sins, all those things that destroy the presence of God in our lives. God wants to use them for great be hindered if they allowed the devil to have control over them. So Peter reminds them to live as good people, no matter where they are, live as a reflection of their Savior, whether they're at home or whether they're not, even while they're in a distant land, even while they're sojourners and exiles, represent Christ. You say, Danny, how? Well, listen to how Peter describes Jesus in Acts chapter 10, verse 38. I love this description. He says, God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. And he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. You say, Danny, what did Jesus do? He went about doing good through the power and the leadership of the Holy Spirit. Did he live in a world that hated him? Yes, they put him on a cross and killed him. Did it keep him from doing good? No. He said, I know the best way for people to see God, even if it means I will sacrifice my own life, the best way for them to see God is for me to do good and love them even when they hate me. Why live like Jesus? Why live honorable around others? Because we do everything that we do so that people can see Jesus. Listen, they were living in a, in a, in a hostile world just like we are. They were dealing with people who were making all sorts of accusations about Christianity. As a matter of fact, this whole exile has begun with one man, Emperor Nero, falsely accusing Christians of something that they didn't do. But even when that happens, even when they falsely accuse, even when they persecute, even when your exile's on the run for your very lives, we must show them Jesus. As a matter of fact, there's a great example of this from the Old Testament. His name is David. Even though King Saul was jealous of him and wanted to get rid of him, David never retaliated evil for evil. Actually, Saul about David in 1 Samuel 24, 17. This is what Saul said to David. He said, you are more righteous than I, for you have repaid me good, whereas I have repaid you evil. Jesus is saying, listen, I know that you might live among a people who don't care about me. You might live with a, a government that doesn't want me or, or, or a country that doesn't want me or a people who do not want me, even though that's the case. I want you to live good lives before them. I want you to be a reflection of me, and even when you're hated, I want you to love. I read a story that was shared by Warren Wearsby that really kind of brought this idea home for me. It was in the summer of 1805, and there was a number of Indian chiefs and warriors who met the council at Buffalo Creek, New York, to hear a presentation of the Christian message by a good old preacher by the name of Mr. Cram. He was from the Boston Mission. After the sermon, a response was given by Red Jacket. He was one of the leaders of the chiefs who could translate for the preacher. So he gave a response for people to give their lives to Christ. Among other things, the chief said, Brother, we are told that you have been preaching to the white people in this place. These people are our neighbors. We are acquainted with them, and we will wait a little while and see what effect your preaching has upon them. If we find it does them good, makes them honest, and less disposed to cheat Indians, we will then consider again what you have said. You know what Wearsby's reminding us of? We live in a culture that doesn't care about God. But if our response to that is to lash out and belittle and argue and fight and push and 
If our response is not the love of Jesus, then listen to me, friends. Their accusations, all their criticisms, all those things they falsely say about us will no longer be false. They will be true. So you say, Danny, why is he saying this? Because God controls our direction, not me and you. My desires may want to push back. My desires may want to be to fight. My desires may want to be to stomp everybody else out. That's not what Jesus did. He laid down his life for his friends. He gave it all up. And he's asking us to do the same as he leads our lives to represent him. As a matter of fact, Peter would later write this in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless for to this you were called that you may obtain a blessing. Listen, friends, all we do should be to bring glory to God because God is in control of our direction. He is in control of our decisions. So can I ask you a couple things? Peter writes this morning, I wonder where you sit when it comes to belonging to God. Listen, I walk in those offices, everybody knew you must be a Boudreaux, right? I looked like who I belonged to. I looked like where I was from. Let me ask you something, friends. If you follow Jesus, do people accuse you of being a Christian? How dare they know that I follow Jesus? Friends, if we follow him, it should be obvious to others. It should be having such an impact on the world around us that people know from being around you, you must be a Christian. So listen, let me just reflect on that. You say, Danny, how, how, do, how, do, we, how do people see this? How do we know this? Well, listen, here's what Peter reminded us of. First of all, God changes our desires, right? We're followers of Jesus, our desires should be changing. It happens through salvation, yeah? It happens through scripture as we grow, become more like Jim. It happens through separation as we say no to the sins that we once wanted. Hey, is God changing your desires? If he's not, then let me, let me remind you of these couple of questions you need to ask yourself right now. A, have you given your life to Jesus? He died for you. He's covered your sins with his blood. And all he requires of you is to respond in obedience and faith to him. Listen, if you've never done that, we'd love to give you an opportunity in just a few moments. I'm going to walk back to that lobby. We're going we're gonna to sing. We're going to have a time of response. You don't have to come up here in front of anybody to find me. I'll be back there in that lobby. If you're dealing with Jesus, knowing you need to give your life to him, maybe just witnessing the testimonies of these baptisms this morning, you're like, Danny, I need Jesus. If that's you, friends, your desires will never be changed because you don't belong to the one who can change them. Hey, you can make that in that lobby. I'd love to take my Bible and open it and tell you how you can give your life to Jesus. He can change it all today. But if you are a follower and you say, Danny, my desires haven't been changing either, then here's what I would ask you. How much time are you spending with him so that he can grow you and push you and form you into the image of his son? If you're not, then listen, friends, maybe you need to make use of this altar this morning. I'm not gonna be up here. I'm not your mediator. You don't need to come pray to me. You need to find Jesus and say, I'm sorry, I've been messing up, I have failed, and you need to fall on your face and say, I repent from that God, I want to follow you. If you're a believer in the room and you haven't grown in years, where are you with Jesus? Maybe you need to take some time. Tell him you're sorry, ask for forgiveness and move on. Hey, can I ask you something else? Is he conforming your destiny? You say, Danny, what do you mean? Listen, you're for his possession. 
You're for his, you're for his praise. How are you being built up into a spiritual house, a royal priesthood, a chosen nation? How are you becoming more like Jesus every day? You say, Danny, I'm not. And you need to find him. And you need to spend some time and say, I'm sorry, make me better. Hey, can I ask you something? Is he controlling your direction? Say, Danny, how do I know? Are your decisions based on him or based on you? Listen, if you follow Jesus, you will look like the one you belong to. If you don't, then I would have to ask, hey man, where where are you from? Who's your dad? Because listen, when I walk in, they go, you must be a Boudreaux. They know who my dad is. Hey, when, when you walk in, do they say you must be a Christian because they know who your dad is? And we look like who we belong to. We look like where we're from. Do you look like Jesus? If not, maybe belong to him. We can change that right now. Let me pray for you. Father, we love you and thank you, Jesus. You're awesome. God, thank you.